If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Welcome back to the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. It's good to be with you again today. Uh, we are currently doing a series of classes at the Somerdale Church Christ. Uh, we're talking about mental health from a biblical perspective, and you've already heard a couple of introductory lessons, and previously we talked about the struggles that Job goes through and how no doubt that would have affected his mental health. And uh, we want to begin now talking about Moses and David. Now, this class, like I said, happens uh, every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and we're going through these biblical characters. Um, unfortunately, because of uh, some delays and some issues, I was unable to get the first part of the class recorded. So I, when you, uh, if you were to listen to what was recorded, it would only be David. We wouldn't be covering Moses. And so I wanted to introduce to you uh, what we covered in class about Moses and his mental health. And then I'll introduce David, and then uh, we'll pick up where the recording leaves off. So let's start with Moses here. Moses, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, you know, God speaks to him. He calls him. Um, and so in we know from reading the early parts of Exodus that Moses had some self-esteem issues. In fact, that plays out through two chapters when he begins to tell God, you know, I'm not the guy. I'm not who you're looking for. You need somebody else. And he, he does that through several different ways. The first, the first thing he does is he basically says, well, I don't even really know who you are. You know, I believe in you. I, I can hear your voice, but I just don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to say. So he's like, yeah, I want to know your name. When they ask me, what is the name of the God who sent you? He says, well, you know, um, his name is Yahweh. His name is I am. His name is the I am. Uh, what more did you need? What more would you want? And so... Uh, I love God's interaction with him through this bush because he just continues to come with excuses. And I think that there are some connections we can make to things we go through today. Uh, so the first thing is identity. Who are you and who is God? Moses is having to answer that question. Who is he and who is God? And if God truly is calling him to go and do something, the second question is why? Why me? Why do you want me to go back? Why do you want me to go lead the Israelites out? I mean, can't God do that by himself? Can't he just, you know, swipe, uh, you know, his finger and, and knock uh, Pharaoh off the throne? You know, can't, couldn't God do it without using Moses? Well, the answer is yes, of course. But God wanted Moses to get out of his comfort zone. You see, he'd spent 40 years in Egypt 
And when he ran, he's now spent 40 years in the wilderness. So who is he? He's having to re-identify himself at the ripe old age of 80. 40 years now he's been in this wilderness. Uh, you know, we're, there's a lot of concern and conversations right now about our president here in the United States as, as to at, at the, what age uh, can you mentally handle the stress of the job? And um, and so we th- we look at Moses and we say, well, what was he doing at eighty? Well, it's very different back then. Uh, people lived a whole lot longer, but nevertheless, he's eighty years old. He's he's exhausted. He's struggling. He's got a family, and God comes to him and says, "Hey, I've got a job for you to do." So he questions himself. He questions God. He questions the reasons why God chose him, uh, and then he begins to struggle with his. Uh, you know his uh, uh, the way he presents his presentation. Uh, how's he going to present the message of God to people? You know they're not going to believe me. He says, "Well, God shows him two signs, and through those miracles, God reveals to him you're going to do things like this in Egypt. You know I'm going to work through you to do these kinds of miracles." And so, uh, you know, you you have the, the the staff that's thrown on the ground, and then he picks it up. You know, it's, it turns into a snake, and he picks it back up, and it turns back into a staff. Uh, then you've got uh, the the second one is he takes his hand and puts it into his chest, and then he sees that it is full of leprosy, and then he says, "Put it back," and it's gone, and it is. And so these are meant to be signs to him that he can tell people, "Hey, I know for a fact there's a God because this is what he's done for me. This is how he has proved himself to me." And so, again, he's having these questions of identity. Who is he? Who is God? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? And even after all this, for a chapter and a half, he finally says in verse 10, you know, I, I'm not eloquent. I'm not, I'm not the guy. I, I've never, I don't have this uh, desire to stand up before thousands of people. I do not have the desire to lead. I do not want to go into to Egypt and have to fight the king. I don't want to have, he's coming up. All these excuses are in his mind, and he just specifically says, you know, I can't do it. I can't talk. I can't be your guy. I, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. You know, I'm not able. People have estimated at, at different, you know, kind of uh, sicknesses he could have had or diseases he could have had that would have prevented him. And they say, well, you know, maybe he has suffered in the past from some kind of a health issue, or maybe uh, he has a, a speech impediment, or maybe he has – we don't know other than what he says, which is he says, I'm a slow talker. Maybe a slow talker, maybe a low talker. But he says, I'm not the guy. I can't do it. And so God again comes to him and he says, who made your mouth? You know, who, who gave you the ability to speak in the first place? If, if, the, if the ability is a problem, I got it covered. I can, I can fix that. And then he says, you know, who makes the mute, the deaf, the blind, the, all of that? The, the, those, how can God empower Moses to see that he is capable. He is able. And, and so he says, I'm going to give you the mouth to teach. I'm going to, I'm going to move your mouth to say the right things. And he's like, you know, please, Lord, please send somebody else. This is verse 13 in chapter four, please God, if at all possible, send somebody other than me. And it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses because he is so patient up to this point and he finally just gets so frustrated he's like fine don't you have a brother named Aaron well he's going to go with you and he's going to help you I'm going to use both of you now Aaron unfortunately gets thrown into this mix because he he's the only person maybe that Moses knew of or could trust 
Uh, and it then begs the question, how much of a relationship do they have during the 40 years he was in Egypt? But that's another sidebar. So here we are. We're focusing on Moses's inability to do the job. And job, he says, I'll send somebody with you. I'll send somebody with you to get it done. And then what's really neat is it says that he told him, look, if you'll look up, if you'll lift your eyes, you'll see him coming to you. You, you will see that your brother is already on your way. He's already on. He's already on the way to come and see you. And so this must have been somewhat humbling to Moses as he's like, hey, look, I've been planning for this all along. And, and Moses you know, he's, he's sitting here struggling. We don't know how long it takes him to have these arguments with the burning bush, but we know Aaron had a long way to walk, a long way to travel. So he was sent long before the bush even started burning. So that's pretty cool as God had provided for Moses even before Moses ever got the call. And, uh, and I, I'll, cl- I'll close this thought on, on Moses. I do believe that Moses' issue is a self-esteem issue. I believe that he has reached a point where he just does not believe in himself. He just does not believe that he can handle this problem. Uh, he, he thinks that, and you know, some people might say, well, he's older, he's retired, you know, he's in this community tending sheep and, you know, he's 80 and why in the world would, you know, God want to use somebody like that? Well, God, that's the exact type of person, exact type of person that God would want to use. He wants to use somebody that people would look at and go, nah, they can't do the job. And he uses Moses. So from now on, when we study Moses and you look at his character, realize that he he had these issues, you want to call them mental health struggles, with an identity of who he was and what what God really was trying to do and why God was trying to use him. Uh, and this continues throughout his life. And he, he he has an identity problem with with his family because he's married to the wrong woman. You know, his own brother and sister are frustrated he married a foreigner. Uh, he has issues among the extended family because some of his cousins rise up in a rebellion and try to take over. Uh, he, he gets to the promised land or near to the promised land. He walks for 40 years in circles doing funerals this last 40 years of his life and funerals and funerals. And he says, Lord, teach us to number our days. So his relationship with God grew through his struggles. But there are still some basically some some self-esteem identity crisis that he would face from time to time trying to really focus on what God wanted and not what he wanted what was best for the people and uh and Aaron uh, though he's a great guy could not do what Moses was called to do and vice versa it's the reason why Aaron is given the role of the high priest and Moses is basically the leader of the people and these are supposed to be two separate roles um but there's a lot of really good stuff throughout Moses' life. I wish we had time to cover all those different stories where he has some individual struggles, but God leads him through. There's no doubt. The second character I want to talk about is David. And I want to focus specifically on Psalm 51 and think about his, uh, his struggle with his own spiritual life and his own lust for flesh which becomes a, a major issue. In fact, it, his, his giving in to sin is one of the reasons for his mental health struggles. And there are many, many psalms that talk about his, uh, you know, how he feels like he's being crushed or strangled or hurt or pressed down, and he feels like the enemy is against him all the time. And so we learn from David through these songs, these psalms they were supposed to sing, 
about his struggle, and in a way, it helps us to be able to relate to him a little bit. Put those two things together, maybe it was a way to try to show the people that, you know, this is, even as a king, I'm going through all this too. <clears throat> I'm going through all this too, and when I'm going through this, I'm, I'm calling out to God for help, and this is something you should be doing as well. When you're going I, like, I like that thought, as he's saying, look, I'm I'm one of you. I'm also somebody who struggles. That's good. The way I kind of look at it is I feel like he's struggling because it's one of those things where it could be one of our sins where you're just like, I would never do that. Like, that would right. never happen to me. And right. I think it's <coughs> six in with him that he did. And it's one of those he doesn't know how to forgive himself. So he's hoping that when he's confessing all these sins, all these struggles, that someone's going to be like, they did yeah. All right. Like, yes, right. that was terrible, but it's all right. We will get through this together. Right. I think it's one of those he's hoping someone reaches out and helps him. Like, I'm a king, but I'm struggling, and I need someone to help me through this. Yeah. I feel like it was also to kind of help humble himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the, the secret sins are the most painful that we... But if you ever confess... But yeah, David, of all the things that he deals with, some of his secret sins, I personally think that confession is good for the soul. And so I think if you can find somebody that's close to you that you can share your struggles with, that's why God gives you a spouse. You know, you should be able to have your help meet and tell them what you're struggling with and they don't judge you. But we also need to have people around us that we can actually talk to and say, hey, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I need prayer, I need help. And um, I, I mentioned almost weekly that I've got a group of guys in my phone I can text right now and they'll stop right now and pray for me, whatever they're doing. Um, you need to have a circle of people and confession's good for the soul. If you can name your demon, it's a whole lot better and easier to overcome it, but you have to name it. You know, you have to name like, um, if you know, you ever, you ever know anybody that's gone to AA, you have to say, well, I'm an alcoholic. If you know someone who's dealt with uh, drugs, you know, I'm an addict. Um, whatever our sin is, we have to name that sin. So we, what's that? Yeah. Chocolate (laughs) is my demon. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So, I mean, everybody has their own individual thing. Um, you know, and I, I think about, I think about food a lot, you know, I'm a, I'm a food addict big time. Um, but you have to be able to name the problem, name the struggle, put a name to it and then tell somebody about it and say, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? And, uh, so David humanizes himself. You know, it's like Cecily said, he's a king. What? He, but he also, like us, he has, our, he has the same struggles, and he needs the help the same as we do. And um, he had some counselors around him. Like Nathan is a good example. Uh, he had some other prophets that were close to him. But man, you, you've got to be able to pause from time to time and say, I am hurting. You're, and the life is not always going to be good. And probably the worst thing we can do, one of the worst things we can do is pretend it doesn't happen. Pretend it's not there. You know, we try to bury it. We try to hide it. We don't want to talk about it. 
And uh, that becomes more painful down the road because people go, you've been struggling all this time and you didn't tell anybody. In fact, sometimes people will go, I had no idea. I had no idea you were going through all of this. And they say, well, I fake it really well. I don't think we should fake. You know, I don't think we should fake. I had, there were some people that came forward um, or as soon as services were over with last Sunday morning. Was it last Sunday the elders spoke? I think it was. So last Sunday, we had some people come out and they're like, we, you know, we've been raised in the church. We've never seen elders get up and say we've made mistakes. That we've never seen an eldership get up and say, we have, we have really failed you. We want to do better. And uh, I said, yeah, that's a big step. For, I mean, it's a good, it's a good starting point you know, to, to launch and to do bigger and better things. But to get up and say, we have failed you. We have made mistakes. We haven't done what we should do as, as shepherds. Um, I think that's humbling. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, I, I'm 52 years old. I've never seen that ever yeah. in my life. Yeah. And I'm so thankful that both of my sisters were here last weekend. Yeah. Because I know they haven't seen that. No. <laughs> I, I'm absolutely positive yeah. that they, they have not seen that. But it was very impressive. Mm-hmm. It is very, very difficult to humble yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, when it, like we do with preachers, I think we, number one, we put elders on the pedestal as well because they're overseers of the church. But at the same time, and then I speak for myself, really, I have not been mindful of what their job entails. Right. Don't have a clue right. until all of this started. And yeah. it, it, Tim and I have really talked about, you know, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Mm-mm. Number one, nine times out of ten, we don't need to know. Right. But we should know that, that you guys deal with things, and we should pray for your knowledge, your, your wisdom, yeah. and courageousness in all yeah. of that. Definitely. And so it, it really brought it home to me and made me realize, you know what, maybe I have failed others. Yeah. Uh, I I was I was happy that they did it. I was nervous about them doing it. Um, of course, I cried through most of it. I'm a, I'm a softie, but um, <clears throat> I went to the back foyer and I just bawled. But uh, I just think about how church leaders often will hold on to that pain because they don't want anybody to know how difficult it is. And the role of an elder is extremely difficult. I mean, and I I'm not in the meetings as much as I as I used to be. Uh, now their meetings are consumed by a couple key issues that they keep having to deal with. And, you know, we had, we've had people leave late, lately and uh, a handful, not all together, but it just happened all at the same time. I can tell a lot of times when my dad was dealing with something hard that someone mm-hmm. else was dealing with. Yeah. Just from the way that things piling up, that other people have issues that are going on. Right. And the things that my dad would know, he would never talk about them, mm-hmm. but you could tell yeah and it's painful because when the uh, when people say things we have a tendency to listen to whoever's talking we don't go and find out if the story is true we just automatically go really well that's terrible and so when you have a group of people that have made a commitment and i do too like when i do counseling i tell people what we say is gonna stay right here in this room i'm not gonna i have a confidentiality somebody drop something What's exciting around here today? Um, but yeah, you, I, there are times that um, you can't tell what's going on. You just can't tell it. And that's why when some of the people that have left is there are uh, four, five, six that have left for a reason that we don't want to let the church know what that reason is. Because if they knew, they would 
I'm not going to say hate these people, but they would be furious with these people for the reasons why they left. And it's, it's uh, superficial, it's completely opinion, but it also shows that those people, I mean, they have a heart, but man, it's hard. It's a hard heart. And then there are other people who have left because uh, they don't like the way things are going. And, um, you know, and I'm like, well, tell us why. And they bring up all kinds of things that they don't like, which are, again, matters of opinion. So the elders have to process all that, and they don't want to get up before the church and say, we, we announce people that are coming in as members, give them a basket, but we don't do it when they're exiting. You know, we'd like to get up this morning and announce that so-and-so and so-and-so have decided to go to Robertsdale. So-and-so and so-and-so have gone to the Baptist church, which two of them did. Uh, or or we're gonna, they're going down to Gulf Shores now or wherever. The elders don't want to get up and have to share that information because it's been, then everybody's all worried and upset, like, what's going on? So, um, so there are times, and that's just what's going on now, but there are times that things have happened in the past where there's been a family that's gone through some tragedy or there's a couple that's on the verge of divorce. You don't know how many people, how many couples have like talked to attorneys and started the paperwork. And then after they visited with the elders or with me, we've prayed together, we've gotten counseling and worked through that. Now, if they want to share that later, that's up to them. But we, we deal with all that. And then we have Bible studies with people. I have Bible studies with people all the time that hours and hours, just days of study and pouring into this person's life, uh, just studying scripture. And they say, no, they're not interested. And then you're like, man, I wasted all that time. It's not wasted, but, but then that weighs heavy on you. Or there's other people that you spend a lot of time with. There's some that are, um, we call high maintenance. <laughs> there are some people that are high maintenance where it's kind of like every time something happens, you're involved. And so their drama becomes your drama. And so you do that and do that and do that and do that. And after months or years, they walk away. And you think, man, I spent all that time with these people. But there's a lot of things like that that we can't say. And so it creates a a mental health issue because you you go through depression. You go through anxiety. Um, In some respects, even PTSD. Because, you know, you're just like, here it comes again. And it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. Right. Stuff, especially if it's like opinion related things, because if their opinion changes, they right. come back. Right, exactly. And, and you don't want to do them wrong by bad mouthing them or right. telling everybody why they left and everything. Right. And Just I. Because they could change their mind for sure. better to come back. And I also believe that. Uh, how can I say this without being rude? Uh-oh. People aren't honest. They will tell you that they're leaving for this reason because that's easier to tell when really there's something else going on they don't want to talk about. And it's the same thing with divorce. I've seen couples split and the man be like, I, we just don't get along. I just don't understand, but it's, it's just not working for me. And, you know, the, the wife will be like, what? What happened? You know, I've given you 20 something years. I've given you three or four kids and we've been through this and this. What's going on? I, was, I just don't love you anymore. It's just not working. Only to find out that he's been seeing somebody for the last two years. And so there's always something deeper that needs to be brought up. And that's why counseling is helpful is you can actually talk to the people and pull it out of them. Literally, you know, that's not the core issue. What's the core issue is the core issue that you don't love each other is the core issue that you love someone else. You've replaced that love. Uh, it's, it's impossible to, to serve two masters. Jesus says it's impossible to love two people equally, uh, unless it's your children. But, um, uh, when it's your when your spouse, you can't love your spouse unconditionally and also love someone else unconditionally. So what you do is you replace the love that you're supposed to have for your spouse for someone else. 
And that train went off the rails long before the moment they first cheated. There, there was a whole list of things that were going on before, spoken and unspoken, that caused that problem. David's issue is not adultery. David's issue is that he makes a conscious decision not to join his troops in battle. And David has, a, lack of a better term, he's, he's a womanizer. He's got some problems with ladies. You know, there's one lady that uh, Abigail's a good example. You know, he goes down to see her husband. He wants to get uh, some help for his troops. And the husband's just a, a jerk to him, just mean to him. And he, he leaves and he's decided he's going to get his military together. And she comes out on the road and begs him. She's like, please don't kill my husband. Please let me work this out. You know, I'll be your servant. And he, he thinks she's just awesome. It's very bold. So he goes back and uh, Nabal believes his name. And he, he, God strikes him into a coma for three days as a stone, just like a stone. And then after three days, he kills him. And David goes, oh, so I hear you're single. <laughs> he, just, he just takes the woman as his own and has kids with her. So uh, David does that quite frequently. He collects women. Well, it's interesting. He has about, I think it's either six or eight women as wives and dozens of concubines. What's his son's name? Solomon. Solomon did the same thing. He collected women. So while, yes, David had just a handful, Solomon says, I'll beat my daddy. I'll get more than he had. And so sometimes the root of the issue may not be, like I said, the adultery. He had a heart problem. And that's why he's saying, create in me a clean heart. I want you to take all this out. Uh, you can't always fix what you've done. It may be impossible to fix it. Uh, you're going to have the consequences of it. But what you can do is create a clean heart. You know, let's start over. Let's, let's start clean. Let's start fresh. Uh, the hardest part for David is he can't forgive himself for what he did. And you know, sometimes that, like you said, with David, probably a generational thing. Yeah. You know, if you're brought up in a house full of excuse me, anxiety and mm -hmm. struggle and strife and constant drama, that's how you know. Right. And that it, it follows you, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. And, and it also creates a pattern that your children may follow in the same pattern. you got to break the cycle. Uh, if your parents were physically and emotionally abusive, then you may become, or you're drawn to people that are physically and emotionally abusive. And it takes a while as you grow up, older to figure out how to break that cycle. You know, you, you, you should want some peace. And we, we were talking about this today. I, I Misty and I, we, I don't know, I guess it's because we deal with a lot of young people. Of course, we have five kids, so it's, it's crazy. But I have, we are shocked at how many children, and I'm talking about from 16 years old to 20, 22 years old, stay in a toxic relationship for so long. You're like, well, first of all, you, you, know, you should have never dated this person in the first place. But now that you're with them, why can't you just break free? Why can't you just, and they break up and they're back together and they break up and they're back together. And it's, and I'm thinking if they're toxic, run, you don't need that person. But for some reason, I think it's because this, this generation has created a culture where drama is the norm. They're used to it. And it's almost like they're attracted to it. And so if there is drama going on, they want to be a part of it. You know, tell me, give me the tea. You know, I want to know. And, and because of that, it becomes so uh, integrated into their life that it does that with their relationships. They choose toxic people. Yeah. Social media. Yeah. Put it on there. Yep. Put it on TikTok. Take pictures of, <laughs> oh, look, this happened and that happened yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's, you're right. That's the, yeah. that's their culture now. Yeah. And I think they just choose drama. 
because that's what they're used to. And, you know, there's very few that, that get up and go, you know, I'm going to get good school grades and I'm not going to date until I'm in college. And, I'm, you know, I'm going to have a good core group of Christian friends. Most of them are attracted to the drama because that's all that they see. And, uh, and it becomes a problem as they get older. I wonder what the next generation will be like behind them. But, you know, our, our parents, for those of us who had boomers as parents, uh, spoiled us rotten. You know, they really did um, for the most part. And then after that, then what, what do we do? Well, we give our kids everything they want from like a certain age. Now, my parents weren't like that, but a lot of boomers parents are because they were raised by parents that were in the Great Depression. And the Great Depression, you know, they went through all this sadness and sorrow. And so the boomers come up and they have all these kids after World War II and suddenly they're getting all the things that they want. And so then our generation, same thing. And so it's just a, it's a toxic trend that you give children whatever they want, and if they throw a fit, you're going to go, oh, don't do that. Let me get, you know, come into Walmart, and they grab stuff off the shelves. Oh, no, you can't have that. And they're like, but if you'll be good, <laughs> you know, instead of just going, no, you're going you're gonna to set that in that cart. You're not going to say a word. You know, my mom and dad would be like, you know, you do that, I'm going to slap you upside the head, which wasn't a good way to, you know, raise a kid. But, uh, but the, the fact of the matter is we, we do tend to gravitate towards what we're comfortable with. So when, when children choose a toxic relationship, it's because they're drawn to it for whatever reason. And so you got to figure out how to break that cycle. Um, and same thing for us as parents. We, we have a tendency to do the same thing we were taught. Um, and we have to kind of, you know, grow out of it. I do believe you can. I do believe people can change. Um, and so when David says in verse 12, you know, restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, when you, when you uh, deep your, steep yourself in sin, so deep in sin, you feel like that you can't breathe. And this is something that's, uh, if, if you've ever experienced this, when you are suffering from anxiety, you feel like you're literally being strangled. You can't breathe. You know, you may have to go outside, you know, and catch your breath. You're just, it, it, your whole body is affected. And it starts with the mind, but your whole body is affected. I can't, watch people on a plane, you know, just, you know, or, or if they're going through something, just watch their eyes, you know, their hands. Yeah. Oh, is that the bell? Okay, great. So uh, next week, we're going to talk about Elijah. Uh, and Elijah, his, his uh, struggles with being alone. So we'll talk about that next week. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.